Welcome to Finding Our Way. I'm Prentice Hemphill, and this is a very special episode of the podcast. We're halfway through the season, and we wanted to do a special Ask Me Anything episode, where we could take some of the great feedback we've been getting, the questions we've been getting, and spend some time answering them, be with what you all have been chewing on, and maybe even pose some more questions of our own. As some of you may or may not know, the producer of this podcast is actually my brother, Eddie Hemphill, and he's joining us today to help us move through some of the questions. Hey, Eddie. Hey, P. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Um, and I just want to say everybody who's come on has talked about how glad they are that you have a podcast, and I just want to echo that and just, um, yeah, say how glad I am to be here and to be working on this with you. and you know, to be in, in what we're making. I really appreciate that. It's really fun to do it with you. And it's fun to kind of come out and let everybody experience our sibling dynamic on the podcast today. So are they, are they ready? <laughs> Unsure. So what's up first? What we got? Yeah. So we got a lot of questions from folks all over and you know I wish we could get to them all but I think there were some some key themes that popped out and I think first we can we can talk about boundaries people were really interested mm. in um in hearing more about boundaries and let's see we have one pretty good question here from Ange W so Ange says I'm interested in anything and everything about boundary setting especially with people who have none of their own and usually don't respect anyone else's I come from people who don't believe in boundaries and I'm learning from scratch. I find myself cutting people out of my life easily and sometimes this is needed. But I wonder about some situations where maybe I could be stronger in setting, communicating, and upholding my boundaries. I'm excited for what else you'll cover on the podcast. Thank you for sharing so much with all of us. Yeah, thanks so much, Ange and, and P. What do you think about boundaries? I think a lot about boundaries. I have a lot to say about boundaries. Thank you, Ange, for the question. I think there were a few questions about boundaries. I'll kind of share a little bit here and and hope that it resonates with you, Ange. And I think what you shared about how challenging boundaries can be in some of our closest and most important relationships, I'm sure resonates with a lot of folks listening too. So boundaries. We talked about boundaries, I think, on the episode with Adrian. And we shared a bit about how boundaries have showed up in our relationship and what boundaries mean to each of us. For me, boundaries are a way to keep ourselves intact. And when I mean intact, it's how we care for the space around us, how we maintain our integrity. Um, And I really mean integrity in a kind of bodily sense. Our, Our sense of wholeness comes through our ability to express and maintain boundaries. And they're so hard because we are interconnected. We are in deep relationship. We are part of a larger whole. And those are some of the reasons why boundaries can be really hard for us to actually keep. I think for myself, the journey has been to really understand the distinction between boundaries and walls. For me and my own healing, it was important for me to realize that there's not just a one boundary that I kind of carry around to every situation. Now, we may have 
kind of rules around how we live our life um, that we keep in order to really care for ourselves. But relational boundaries, at least from my point of view, tend to be responsive to real-time information. I used to have a bunch of walls. I think I, I mentioned this on the podcast with Adrian, where I wasn't really there for connection. And that was out of a sense of protection, needing to protect myself from closeness and the harm that can come through closeness. And I thought that those are boundaries, but it actually made it impossible for me to feel the kind of goodness in my life or be fully present or permeable in the relationships that I really wanted to be present for or in the spaces where I really wanted to be intimate with other people. So it was a revelation to me to realize that what I actually wanted to be practicing was boundaries and that those are actually much more responsive to each person, each dynamic, each moment than the walls that I was kind of keeping up were. So I think that's one one point about boundaries. The other thing about boundaries is really understanding that our ability to set boundaries is in direct relationship to our sense of deserving and our sense of deserving to be cared for, deserving to be intact. A lot of us have learned that in order to be safe or to belong, there's something we have to compromise about ourselves or our own needs. Being able to have and express boundaries has a lot to do with whether or not we feel deserving of those same boundaries. So a while back, I shared a post where I said, it's the places where your shame persists that your boundaries are hardest to hold. And I got a lot of questions about that post in particular. And what I meant there was that if we feel shame or if we're organized around shame or if shame is shutting us down in places, it's going to be really challenging for us to embody the kind of deserving that's going to have us maintain our boundaries. That shamefulness or not deserving or feeling inherently bad is not actually going to lead us to a path that allows us to make decisions that care for our, our whole selves. That there's a direct relationship between our relationship to shame or how deeply shame is entrenched in us and our ability to hold and express boundaries. There's a lot more I could say there, um, but I, I think the last thing I, I want to say about this, and maybe there's some other questions where we can dig in, but boundaries are, are not only kind of hard to feel or sense in our own bodies, that intactness, that deservingness, but they're also really hard in the relational space too, because you have a boundary and it may or may not align with what people want from you. And given power dynamics, people may feel more or less entitled to your space, your life. So for your question, Ange, I just want to normalize that it can be really, really challenging to find relationships where boundaries are welcomed, where they're expected, where they're encouraged. That's just a real challenge. And that's one of the reasons why it's so hard for us to have and hold boundaries is because most of us are walking around not valuing our own ability to express our boundaries. And when other folks come in and have boundaries, it feels like a personal affront to us if we can't express our boundaries or if we feel entitled to other people. And I think one of the things Adrian and I talked about was boundaries are also an opportunity for us to really get to know one another. Boundaries are an opportunity for us to really 
be in authentic relationship with one another and understand what another person needs to feel safe or needs to feel loved. Boundaries are one of the most direct ways uh, we can get to know one another. And it's a very, very vulnerable practice that we should honor more. And we can have all our feelings. We can have our feelings if someone has a boundary and it's not exactly what we wanted to happen. And those feelings can be ours to feel. They're actually not someone else's to absorb or do anything about. But we can have our feelings in our process. And that's part of our own growth and development. We can't just say, oh, it's going to be easy to receive other people's boundaries. That's not realistic. Sometimes it's challenging. But that doesn't mean that they become that our feelings become someone else's responsibility. So when we're talking about authentic relationship and the ability to have authentic relationship with one another, we're talking about these hard points and these um, challenges that we have to traverse intimately with one another. And also taking responsibility for our own feelings and our own processing. We can still be with and um, we can still be with one another, but also we're on our own journeys of kind of figuring out how to really be real with ourselves and with each other. Yeah, I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people that have been listening and, and some of the comments that, that we've heard. But I I have a follow-up question. Can I ask oh, you a question? Oh, a follow-up question. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I think, um, you know, there's one thing that you wrote that I know resonated with a lot of people, but I can say that I think I got to be the only other person on the earth who felt it almost as much as you. Because you wrote it about our father. So can you just like talk a little bit about what that was and what that meant when you wrote it? You having us put our business out in the streets. You know, that's rule number one of black family. You don't put your business out in the streets, but. Okay. <laughs> this is one of the ways we heal. To tell the truth. Yeah, I definitely wrote. So I wrote a post. Uh, gosh, I actually don't know how long ago now, about a year and a half ago. Um that kind of went viral and it really surprised me. Um, I wrote a post about my father and our relationship. And my father, um, how do I say it? Growing up was abusive. And I spent 10 years not in communication with him at all um, because of that, 10 years of my adult life. And in recent years started having a kind of relationship with him. It's very different than the relationship I had before with him, but I started having a kind of relationship with him. And that happened because I wanted to talk to him. One of the things I tell people all the time is like, you know, I actually don't have to do anything. If you want to cut people who've been abusive out of your life, you absolutely should do that. And I absolutely did that. I had no intention of talking to him. But something shifted in my process and a lot of things shifted in his life that made me want to have some kind of relationship. But that came after doing a whole lot of healing work and understanding that, one, it kind of references that piece around walls before. I very much could have stayed out of relationship with him, um, but I also realized it wasn't no contact or go right back to the same kind of relationship, the same frequency of communication that I had. It really felt like that to me. Like either I don't talk to him ever again, or I have to go back to that thing, or I'm his child in the same way I was his child before. And when I was doing my healing work, I was like, oh, I have choice. 
The boundaries are so much about choice, so much about agency that I have choice. I can decide what this relationship looks like and I will decide it based on how well I'm able to love myself and also extend a kind of love to him too. So I don't know if I said the quote. Did I say it? Okay. Eddie's shaking his head. No. So what I wrote was boundaries are the distance at which I can love me and you simultaneously. And that's how I could measure, kind of somatically measure what our relationship could be. So in the beginning, I called him once a year and that was the distance. That was the proximity. Now I probably call him once a quarter and that's the proximity. And it may be that for the rest of his life, my life. But if we're using that as our metric, kind of counter to the piece I I shared around shame, if we're using our capacity to love ourselves, our ability to really feel love for ourselves, honor our, our own intactness and integrity, if that is the measure of relationship and when it starts to feel impeded on or it starts to feel disrespected or dishonored, then I know that there's a boundary necessary or there's a there's a shift in our relationship necessary or an ending to our relationship that's necessary. So that's really where that quote came from and um, has really been a helpful continues to be a helpful guide for me in that relationship, but all of my relationships, that every relationship should keep me intact. I should be changing. I should be deepening and growing, but I shouldn't feel compromised. I shouldn't feel harmed and I shouldn't be harming. And if that is the case, then something has to shift. What do you think about that, Eddie? Yeah, I remember kind of reading that and I remember like it hitting me and, um, when I think about this particular situation is like, I think it's important to know that your boundaries can change with people. You, right. you always have the, the option, the choice to, to shift your boundary and people will sometimes <laughs> have you doing that. So yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. So another question that we got or another kind of thematic question was around somatics. And so let's, let's read one that we got from, I think it's Elizabeth Kristoff is who we got this question from. And Elizabeth says, uh, I am interested in somatic history in the black community. I learned about somatics from old white guys like Peter Levine and Vanderkalk. While I think they are all brilliant and I am grateful to them, I'm wondering if there's any appropriation that I'm not aware of. Both of them have such a clinical way of embodying healing. Were there other people who came to it differently? Um, thanks so much, Elizabeth and P. This is all, completely all you. <laughs> I'd love to hear your response, your thoughts on it. Um. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thank you, Elizabeth. Um, yeah, shout out to Peter Levine and Bessel van der Kolk. Also studied them um, and appreciate their offerings. Yeah, this is a real complex and important question um, when we're talking about somatics and that canon of work. Um, and I'm going to try to answer it as succinctly as possible, um, though this is more of a conversation, really. So somatics, um, and some of some of the folks listening may not even know what I'm talking about right now. And I think the short of it is that somatics is 
a theory and a practice on how healing happens through the body. And it's in direct contradiction in some ways to the kind of Western way we think about healing, which is usually through the mind and engaging the mind and cognition and insight in order to activate healing and transformation. But somatic says the the whole of the body, the whole of the being, the soma, which means the body and its wholeness, is actually where real change happens. And that's inclusive of the mind, um, but it's also inclusive of all the other aspects of our beings and our bodies. And that we have to look at the body holistically in order to really understand healing. Um, So that's what somatics says and proposes. And that is what I've been studying for the last decade. Your question about the whiteness of the lineage of somatics is a really important one because it's gotten a lot of traction in the last few years, probably really in the last 15 years. Um, It's gotten a lot of traction. I would say in part that's because of the limitations of mental health treatment and that paradigm that there was, there's been a kind of hunger for something more long-lasting, deeper. Um, not that a lot of transformation can't happen. I'm also trained as a therapist, so I know a lot of transformation can happen in the talk therapy realm, and it is um, a really important intervention we have right now. And I think there's been a longing for something more. Somatics is a whole lot of things. So a lot of the folks, there are different kind of lineages and what we call somatics in this moment. I think. The overall intervention is what I'm talking about, how to really center the the wholeness of the body. And folks are coming to that from a lot of different angles. Folks are coming to that from a kind of more medical understanding of the body, the nervous system, and that's been their entry point. Psychologists that have kind of learned to bring the body along through the work. Psychologists that have done developmental work and are understanding the importance of the body in our stages of development. That's been one of the ways. There's also this thread um, that has come through a lot of Asian spiritual practices, martial arts work. Some of that history also gets hidden and not named. So I think a lot of Buddhist thought and practice, the tradition I studied in incorporated Aikido, and the kind of underlying philosophies around how we perceive and our bodies, how we embody, center, take skillful action, that has been a real central component of the way somatics has gotten practiced in the U.S. I think when I name my own lineage, I try to complicate it even more. Um, I come from Black culture based in the U.S., where embodiment or being inside of our bodies, inside of the experience of our bodies, practices that bring us back to the experience of our bodies is so central to our culture and way of doing things, way of being with one another. That somatics actually for me is just a way to name the wisdom that's embedded in the practices of my culture. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, the Western world puts a a name on things, puts someone's name on things, um, oftentimes a white guy's name on things, and pretend that it's new or it just originated there. Um, But all of our cultures, not just Black culture, but all of our cultures have had practices. And it's not even all of our cultures have had practices. Most of culture are practices. (laughs) 
around embodiment. That's mostly what culture has been in a lot of ways. So our dancing, our singing, um, our relationship to land, the places where we make contact, the stories we create to make meaning of our lives and really embody that meaning. All of that to me is somatics or embodiment work. All of that. So yes to your question. There's absolutely a a whitewashing of the field, but it's also because we have not been taught to look at our own practices as knowledge, as wisdom. Um, We're not always trained to look at the little morsels of truth that have been passed down through the subtlest of movements and motions. So to me, that's what somatics really is about. We can use the word somatics or not. In some ways, the word somatics exists in a Western context to point out the break that has happened between our minds and our bodies. Somatics doesn't make sense in some ways without that break having happened. It's a term and a field of study that emerges from that break of colonization. But before that, we still practice embodiment. Before that, there were still practices across the world that helped us feel ourselves and feel our internal worlds. So yes, and specifically, there are a lot of people doing work around somatics from a cultural standpoint. Uh, My Grandmother's Hands is an incredible book that came out a few years ago that is about that in a lot of ways, understanding the way trauma lives on in our bodies and the way our current system and the kind of racialized divisions that we experience really live inside of our bodies. So that's one great resource. And I think more and more teachers are coming out about their practice and what it means inside of their own identities and their cultures. So yes, I would say there's more places to look than those folks that we all know about that have written the kind of official books on somatics. And it's important for us to to keep looking in, in places and looking in our own lives and our own histories um, for the root of embodiment because it's it's there. It's there. Eddie, you have something to add? I think what you're saying is we be knowing. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we be knowing. We've been knowing and we be knowing the end. You got another one for me? I do. Uh, so this one, I'm really interested to hear. Um, and it is from Sci-Fi KDG. Uh, I'm sorry if that's like not at all what you were trying to go for, but that's how I read it. And they want to know, where are you personally cultivating joy um, and where are you living into imperfection? Who? yes. Um, let's start with the imperfection, shall we? Where am I living into imperfection? Uh, everywhere, here, right now. Um, this whole project of the podcast is me living into imperfection. I've never done a podcast before. My brother has. Um, but this is brand new for me and figuring out how to create the kind of space I'm imagining, um, how to have the conversations that I feel like will be helpful and not really knowing, having no formal or official training. (laughs) Um, I'm really living into a lot of imperfection and I've really been drawing a lot on the wisdom of Audre Lorde lately and just all of her calls to leadership, even if our voice shakes, even if we're afraid um, that we keep going, that we 
say what's true, that we show up to our leadership and we make mistakes and yeah, we try anyway. So I feel in a lot of my work right now, I'm trying a lot of things and there's imperfection all around, Um, but I'm doing my best to allow that. One of the things I say all the time is that perfectionism is a commitment to self-doubt that that's primarily what we are committing to in the practice of perfectionism. And I get so caught up in that sometimes. Self-doubt can rack me. And I have to realize that it's, it's an unending practice. It's a never satisfied act to be striving for perfection. I want to do what I do well um, because I want people to be impacted. I want to be felt. I want to make a contribution in this moment, but it's definitely not perfect and it's not going to be perfect. And I think just what we're up against in this moment and the conditions we're facing, it feels easier for me somehow to try anyway, um, because it feels like we all have to right now. And in terms of joy, let's see, uh, we got a dog just before the lockdown And so we were unable to get her fixed, which I feel all types of ways about anyway, but um, also understand how things work in the world. And my dog had 11 other dogs. So um, (laughs) right now we are taking care of 13 dogs. I'm not exaggerating. And they are a nightmare in many ways. They don't yet know how not to be disgusting but they are also the most adorable creatures. It's hard to understand how they could be so cute. So I'm getting a lot of joy from, we live out in the country and letting 11 puppies run around is delightful. It's just overwhelmingly delightful. So I'm getting a lot of joy from being a new puppy parent and grandparent um, these days. And I'm getting a lot of joy from this. I don't know if I can say that. I'm getting a lot of joy from from this and, and building this community too. You feeling that, Eddie? Yeah, it's been really it's been really good. And I, I think that, you know, I I knew that this would be a great thing to live in the world. I think you've always been someone who's affected people and I'm glad that that you've decided to live into the imperfection and have seen what it looks like to just share some of your gifts and your talents with folks. And I think this has been really fun and I'm glad that even what we've put out so far exists. So, Thanks for saying that. I appreciate that. Thank you for making it happen. Mm-hmm. And can I say that, Go ahead. can I say that uh, perfectionism is a commitment to doubt is a whole, whole ass bar? Like, <laughs> There's more to it. Perfectionism is a commitment to habitual self-doubt. It just is. It just is. So, yes, I hope that can be helpful. Are there any more questions? Um, yeah, so we, we have one more question, and it comes from someone I may want to talk to later. Um, <laughs> mistress of medical marijuana. <laughs> you know mom listens to this podcast. I sure do. I, okay. I'll send mom right. some too. Wow. Let's see. Uh, Mistress of Medical Marijuana asks, uh, what gives you hope? I love that question. Um, What gives me hope? These are hard days. Like we're in a particularly hard period. I'm thinking of the fires that are raging all up and down the West Coast 
I'm thinking about the impending election. Um, there's a heaviness to the time. And I was talking to a friend earlier today, and I was saying that I feel purposeful right now. I feel like that perfectionism and that doubt that we were talking about is somewhat moving aside. And I see it moving aside for others, too, that are sharing their voices in this moment. So what gives me hope, I think, is that, that for a long time, at least in my life and my vantage point in the world, these intimate connections, the real closeness we can feel with one another, hasn't been of as much value as what we can do or what we can produce. And while on the big scale, there are a lot of things that are terrifying, honestly, that are happening, the places where we are close feel closer to me somehow, feel more real somehow. And I know that that's what everything could have been made of to begin with. And so it feels clarifying. I feel a lot of clarity about what really is important in my own life and what I really want to contribute and what really are the questions that are guiding my life. So I guess that's a kind of hope. I also, I think in that, feel a kind of faith that the questions and the commitment and the connection that we're making with each other will carry through. So that gives me hope. I think I honestly get a lot of hope from thinking about what my ancestors have experienced and what must be in me, given what they were able to do. And when I talk to young people, I honestly feel, well, one, like we're giving them a lot to deal with. But if any generation were capable, clear enough, sharp enough to make something significant happen, I think it is the folks that I've met that are younger than me that are doing work. So um, honestly, that gives me that gives me a lot of hope. I think it's important for us to feel a part of a lineage. And it's a really important part of my practice. It's really a way that I tap into that faith or that hope is to not let myself imagine that it all could rest on me, but to know that I'm connected to a lineage. And I don't just mean a biological lineage. It's not how I measure lineage. I talk about a love lineage. It's not only my biological ancestors that have poured into my existence. It's the people who loved me, who gave me hugs when I was a kid, who loved my ancestors, who uh, fought for freedom so that my ancestors could be more free. Um, so I, when I situate myself inside of that love lineage, I feel a lot more hopeful. I feel like there's a lot more room for hope for humanity, honestly. That's my hope practice. That's my faith practice. Yeah, that's so important. Right now, I think we're all feeling the need to really grasp for what brings us hope. So I think that that's super, super important. Yep. So I wanted to thank everybody for submitting your questions, for being really vulnerable in your questions and sharing things that are close to your heart and your lives. We didn't get to them all, but grateful that we got to make some connection here. 
and start to dig in. Hopefully we can do another one of these at some point. And I want to thank my brother for doing this episode. I kind of dragged him into doing this episode with me. I didn't want to be alone. So I want to thank you, Eddie, for doing this episode, but also I want to thank you for really having my back in this process and supporting the vision and bringing your brilliance to it and just for being my brother. Love you too. 30 years of having your back. (laughs) 30 more to go. We out here. All right. Love you very much. (laughs) Love you too. Thanks, y'all. Finding Our Way is co-produced and edited by Eddie Hemphill. Co-production and visual design by Devin Delania. Please make sure to rate, subscribe, and review wherever it is that you listen to this podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at Finding Our Way Podcast or email us with questions, suggestions, or feedback at findingourwaypod at gmail.com. You can also help sustain the podcast by becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. You can find us on Patreon at Finding Our Way Podcast. Thank you for listening to Finding Our Way. Thank you.